Hi, and welcome to the Normal and Good Podcast. I'm Amber. Lindsay is here. Hello! And we are finally starting Season 2 of Hannibal. There is so much joy in my heart. And so much to talk about. I, last night while I was watching these, was like laughing out loud. Just with so much joy. <laughs> because I was like, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to have to like do stuff. It's an obligation. Um, and then I finally sat down and watched it. And I was like, I can't. I need to get practice my squeaky sounds so that I can verbalize the feeling that I have. I just got such a rush from getting back into the analysis that I actually started, like, pausing to get everyone's quotes down, Mm -hmm. which normally I can't abide that because I had a high school English teacher who did it too much. It's okay. Everyone (laughs) said that about him. It's okay that I... I, I'm not allowed to say that. Okay. But I actually had to pause for a long time because there was a thing that happened in, I believe it was episode one, that I actually had to ask my mother-in-law's nurse expertise about. So that'll come up later. Cool. But it was exciting getting back into it, like analyzing and researching and... Chainsaw, what are you doing? Her uh, tree is back there. Oh. Oh, it's under the curtain. Anyway. Anyway. To Hannibal. To Hannibal. Um, so we're doing episodes one and two. And also, I was going through my notes because I have a folder of notes on my phone. Um, because I can't put them in the Google Doc because some of them are very big spoilers. That's okay, I understand. <laughs> so, but one thing that we didn't even talk about in our season one recap that I wanted to just touch on before we jump into season two is that um, when they're talking about how something is wrong with Will and they don't know what it is, in big air quotes, Hannibal says that he would like to try some of his own treatment methods. And then we never saw any of that. And I'm trying to remember if we see them in season two as Will starts to remember things. I'm assuming we do. Um, but I don't remember. And that's interesting. See, I was just guessing that he didn't get to them before Will started realizing that he was being played somehow. So, without further ado, and Indeed. wondering if we ever learn about Hannibal's treatment methods, here we go. Yes. Episode one is called Kaiseki, and the definition I pulled from Wikipedia, a traditional multi-course Japanese dinner. The term also refers to the collection of skills and techniques that allow the preparation of such meals, and is analogous to Western haute cuisine. It was written by Brian Fuller and Steve Lightfoot. It was directed by Tim Hunter. It aired February 28th, 2014, and was viewed by 3.27 million people in the United States, How's that for a bump? I like it. It's like more than twice the number of people who watched the season one finale. So, word of mouth picked up. Well, I remember the buzz around it even then. People were telling me, you have to start this show. I'm like, okay, yes, yes, of course. Just let me finish like the three others that I've started. Yeah. And I didn't. Anyway, episode two is called Sakizuke. And the definition from IMDb is the first course in a formal kaiseki dinner, a sampling of small appetizers whose ingredients, garnishes, and dishware sets the tone for the season and invites the gods to partake of the meat. 
It says meal, but meat meal. is good too. Why did I just... Because cannibalism. My eyes. Got cannibals on the brain. It was written by Jeff v- Vlaming. I'm sorry if I've mispronounced your name wrong, sir. And Brian Fuller. It was directed by Tim Hunter. It aired March 7th of 2014. And it was viewed by two and a half million United States viewers. Which is almost a million less than the week before. Yeah. It's interesting, I think, that we don't have, you know, international viewers. Because I know it had... I mean, I'm just getting all these numbers off of Wikipedia. I'm sure I could get the international numbers if I wanted to go find them. Do other countries have anything like the Nielsen rating system? I don't know. And I don't know if it would apply to an American TV show. At least not in 2014. It might now with a streaming platform. Amazon is an American company, and if they produce a TV show, international views will be more important. But this aired on NBC. True. So... I don't even know. Okay. I forgot how, like, exhausting these summaries are, but I'm going to go for it. Episode 1 summary. Hannibal's cooking. In comes Jack in slow motion. Jack brings a gun to a knife fight. Hannibal stabs Jack in the neck 12 weeks earlier. Hannibal is making fish. How do you make fish out of people? Hannibal and Jack talk about how they are sad Willis in jail and feel equally to blame. Jack tells Hannibal that Will said that Hannibal is the bad guy. Duh. Will stands in a river calmly fishing. The raven stag watches from the bank. Oh, JK, he's actually still in the Baltimore State Hospital for the criminally insane, being nagged to death by Chilton, who is entirely douchebeardless now. Will refuses to talk to Chilton and says he wants to talk to Dr. Lecter. We see the Wendigo rising out of the river. It's your boy! <laughs> At the FBI, Alana has reported Jack for misconduct. Mrs. FBI lady asks Alana to withdraw her report and says things will get ugly. Two city maintenance guys are unclogging a big storm drain in a river and they find many dead bodies, like at least two dead bodies. At Bedelia's house, Hannibal talks about going to visit Will. Bedelia says Will is manipulating him and he's manipulating Will right back. Hannibal says he misses him and Bedelia says he's obsessed. At the hospital, Will sees the raven stag in the hall and then Hannibal greets him. Will says his thoughts sound like Hannibal's voice now, but insists they are not friends. Hannibal says Will needs to accept responsibility for what he has done to get clarity. Will says he has clarity about Hannibal and he's going to remember what he did to him. At the crime lab, Beverly collects a cheap swab... Blah, 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 blah. Collects a cheek swab. A cheek swab from Hannibal and some suits because Will Graham told them to. Hannibal is recruited to go and look at crime scenes because Will obviously can't go... They go to the river and check out the bodies. Hannibal looks more confused than usual. The bodies have been coated in resin, so that's weird. Hannibal says the killer is using the bodies to make models. Hannibal gives Bedelia consent to talk to the FBI about him. She is understandably weirded out by this and says the FBI doesn't know what he's capable of. He says neither does she. And then smiles about it. Alana goes to visit Will and give updates about his dogs. Winston keeps running away to Will's house. Turns out Alana also thinks Will did it due to his illness. Chilton eavesdrops like a crazy... Oh my gosh, I can't talk. I can't. I'm smiling too big to make my lips do the work. Chilton eavesdrops like a creepy douche. Will knows he's starting to remember and asks Alana for help recovering memories. They use a light-up metronome to hypnotize Will. Will hallucinates shadowy dark Alana, who is very naked, and kisses him, but then swallows him up in darkness. He sees pomegranates and is seated at Hannibal's dinner table across from the Wendigo. A single ear is on his plate. He wakes up. 
Hannibal and Chilton have dinner. It's Meatless Monday because Chilton only has one kidney. Chilton tells Hannibal that Will won't shut up about him. The killer tells a guy on the subway that he has nice skin because that's a normal thing to say. Later, he abducts him. Turns out he's not dead. He's alive and drugged in a pile of other bodies. At the crime lab, nobody knows what's up because none of the victims have anything in common except a massive heroin overdose. They have been coated in color preservative and resin and filled with silicone and sewn to something. This killer is even weirder than usual. Beverly takes all this info and photos to Will because she needs his help. Will whoops around and organizes the photos by skin tone. It's a color palette. A dorky orderly brings Will dinner in his cell. Later, it's mashed potatoes and mystery meat. When he eats it, Will remembers Hannibal putting a tube down his throat. That's how the ear got there. Jack goes to visit Will's house. Winston is there. He ran away again. Alana shows up to find the two of them sitting on Will's bed looking lonely. Will is fishing in the stream again. Jack calls to him from the bank because he is standing outside Will's cell. Will is still really bad at making jokes. Twice. Will tells Jack he remembered Hannibal doing something to him, but Jack refuses to believe him. At Hannibal's office at 7.30pm, the time Will usually visits, Hannibal looks lonely. In a grain silo, we see all these dead bodies in different colors grouped together. The newest guy is still alive. He wakes up, but he can't move because he's been sewn in place. The bodies have been arranged to form an iris of an eye when seen from above. Are you okay? This was by far one of the more unsettling killer MOs for me in this show so far. Interesting. I want to talk more about this after I do episode two. (laughs) We're going to. We're going to talk about it. (laughs) Episode two. Color palette guy tears himself free and runs out of the eye, busts out of the silo, and tries to leave. The killer shows up and follows him through a cornfield. Then color palette guy jumps off a cliff and into the river. Convenient. Will Graham is in a cage in the visiting room talking to Alana and Hannibal. Will says he's afraid because he can't remember and he doesn't know which is worse. Did he do it or did Hannibal do it? Alana says Hannibal didn't do it. Will says he felt betrayed by Hannibal because he needed to be able to trust him. Hannibal says he can trust him and tells Will he will help him. Will admits that he needs help and starts to cry. Back in his cell, Will stops crying immediately. A game is the foot. At Hannibal's office, Bedelia comes to visit, a.k.a. to fire him as her patient because she can't help him and doesn't trust him, but she says she won't tell Jack anything. Hannibal stalks her across his office. She says he is dangerous and tells him not to come to her home anymore. She leaves, but he tells her he's resuming therapy with Will, so she says they deserve each other. He lets her leave. At the crime lab, the trio have recovered the victim's body. Hannibal tells them to look in the cracks of the resin. Beverly floats the color palette idea, and Hannibal says he knows it came from Will, which gets Beverly in trouble with Jack. Turns out Jack has to get a psych eval now. In the lab, Hannibal takes a sniff at the cracked resin on Umber's body, the victim. He can smell the corn from the field. Hannibal goes to visit Will. They talk about how they were, or possibly are, friends, and they talk about the human body muralist killer guy. Bev goes to visit Will, who says that he knows Chilton records every conversation he has. Will asks Beverly to ignore all the evidence against him because they won't find any more if he's not guilty. Will takes a look at the new file and wonders why Umber was discarded. It was because he had used heroin before and had a high tolerance, which is why he didn't die. Will tells Beverly to look for a farm or an abandoned house near water and tells her that Hannibal probably knows more than he's saying. Hannibal dons his plastic suit and goes to visit the grain silo. He climbs to the top to look in and see the eye. He tells the killer slash artist, I love your work. Later, the silo is an active crime scene. A close-up of one of the men who is missing a leg below the thigh. Jack has his psych eval. 
Turns out the man with a missing leg was the replacement for Umber in the painting, but the crime trio have no idea who he is. He has no records of any kind. In Hannibal's kitchen, he prepares the leg and any slash all subtlety is gone. Bedelia goes to visit Jack. She tells him she won't be able to help him anymore because she won't be seeing Hannibal anymore and then asks them not to contact her. At the Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, Beverly and Hannibal visit Will in the visitor cage and ask about the muralist. Will visualizes the Wendigo looking down through the grain silo and knows that someone was there to sew the killer into his own mural. He imagines being sewn into it by Hannibal. Hannibal says the killer must have had a friend. We see Hannibal drugging the muralist and sewing him into his own mural in order to finish it, to become part of the eye looking to the heavens. At the Baltimore State Hospital, Will has a visitor. It's Katie Prunell, the FBI oversight lady. She tells Will to plead guilty to spare everyone the trouble, and she'll make sure he's comfortable. Otherwise, he'll get the death penalty. Will enjoys fishing in the stream, but dead bodies are floating by. He's in his cell, and Bedelia comes to visit and say goodbye, even though they've never met. She goes right up to the bars to tell Will she believes him. He is shook. At Bedelia's house, Hannibal gets inside somehow in his plastic suit, but the house is deserted and all the furniture has been covered. She has left him a bottle of her perfume. And that is the end of episode two. That is. Let's just jump into it. Um, also, I want to apologize for putting you through this because I forgot that's how season two starts. It's okay. With the fight between Hannibal and Jack 12 weeks later. It's okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, um, first I was like, oh, Jack, how are you feeling? Oh, that's a cool shot of Hannibal reflected in his eye. And that's when all hell breaks loose in Hannibal's kitchen. Okay, I know you just said Hannibal reflected in his knife, but it sounded like you said Hannibal fucking in his knife. (laughs) When you see him reflected in the knife, but it, that's not what it sounded like you said. Oh, God. No. Oh, gosh. I'm well, sorry. If anyone's going to be into that, but... Um, if anyone's going to be into blood play, it's Hannibal, but I digress. <laughs> um, yeah, we will stay on topic. Anyways. Um, and I I had to stop and, like, pull out of the episode, like, I'm... I clicked on season two, episode one. Right? Yeah. And it's... I did... So I kept on going, and I that is one of the best choreographed fight scenes I have seen. I'm going to jump into my trivia section here um, with a bit of this. Okay. Um, I found this on IMDb, of course. And it says, the extended fight scene between Jack and Hannibal in the season two opener apparently came about when Lawrence Fishburne noticed the filming of the Tobias and Hannibal fight from season one and said to Brian Fuller, you know, I'm pretty good at fight scenes. Well, so they wrote him one, which I think is awesome because watching him and Hannibal fight is like watching a bison fight a mountain lion. Yeah. Like Jack is massive and powerful and Hannibal is a carnivore. He's there's a lithe cunningness mm-hmm. to it. I love that scene. It's it's so well done. It is so It's well brutal. choreographed. It's well shot. It's well acted. Like, I almost want to look that up when I'm writing fight scenes for my own book later. Well, like, and Hannibal is being strangled with the tie, so he goes limp and Jack puts him on the floor, which gives him the chance to grab the glass from the bowl and stab it into Jack's neck. Ah! And then, so then Jack goes into the wine cellar or the fridge or whatever that is. 
closes the door behind him, and he's leaning up against the door. And Hannibal is trying to break down the door. And that's where it ends. My actual note was 12 weeks earlier. Brian Fuller, how dare you? I don't know if you ever read my reaction notes. I sometimes I do. do. Actually, you. today was the first, this was the first time I ever have. I usually don't. But you did today. But I did because I got, like, I got started and I was just too excited. <laughs> so I did, I did look through them a little bit. Let us talk about this. So the fight scene ends and then we go to 12 weeks earlier. He's having dinner with Chilton. Brian Fuller, how dare you? <laughs> no, isn't he having dinner with Jack after the 12 weeks earlier? Um, I don't remember. Let me look. Uh, yeah, because they're oh, having it is the, Jack. Because it's the sea urchin it's, one. It's the fish. And I'm sitting here wondering, how do you make people look like fish? How do you bleach it that white? People meat wouldn't be that white. People don't have tripe like cows do. I don't think. I don't know what's tripe. Tripe is an organ meat from a cow, and it looks viscerally terrifying. Hmm. I'm told that if you actually eat it, it's quite delicious, but it looks like... The look of it reminds me of an appendix I saw on a second grade field trip to the hospital. Gross. Yeah. Clean that up. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway. So, like, yet again, Hannibal being just an absolute little... In this scene, he's a little <laughs> in this scene. I'm sorry for the language. <laughs> I don't know of a synonym of a quite synonymous term, but I never feel guilty eating anything. I remember writing, I'll bet. So do I make a cannibalism joke or a cunnilingus joke? Oh, I didn't even think of that angle. I mean, obviously I did. Well, <laughs> I couldn't decide. So I made no jokes. That was my joke. And uh, there was a moment that called back to that pin I sent you, relevant to our blog. Which, which, uh, I don't remember, you sent me a lot of pins. This was, well, it'll become clear. I can't quite place the fish. He was a flounder. He was a flounder. I was like, that's a human person. That's right. Uh, it reminded me of that. And they were talking about how it feels like Will has died. Which I think is interesting. Like, they were talking about him like he was dead. Yeah. And how they're both really sad about it. And I had, I almost brought back a boo frickety who you did this to you. I think we should bring it back. That could just be one of our things. I like it. Memes from this show. Boo frickety who. You, you did, did this, this to you. you. I don't have any notes about his conversation with Jack. So. I wrote down some of my favorite quotes. There was, there was a lot there. Mm -hmm. It was a good scene. I'm going to pull up the script so I can be looking at that as we go because I'm doing the summaries and my notes at the same time so um, I'm usually focused more on the summaries so my notes tend to be kind of bare bones so but what about you what are your quotes um I liked Will was your bloodhound you have to you know I like their whole oh. conversation about Will being a bloodhound I feel like it it's very reminiscent for me of when, in season one, Hannibal talked about Will being a mongoose mm -hmm. that he wants when there are snakes under the house. And, you know. But for Jack, he's a bloodhound. Yeah. 
And then Hannibal says, you have to investigate me. It's in my best interest and yours. Yeah. Because he knows he's unimpeachable. For lack of a better word. I was going to say that... It's a little too topical, but it's a good word. Because Jack is telling him, Wills is blaming you for all of this. Yeah. And Hannibal says, yeah, you have to investigate me. There's a lot to unpack. Because on the one hand, it's like... He can't act... Obviously, he can't act like, oh, I am above suspicion, because that is how you get the suspicion. Yeah. But also, like, I don't know... There's the cunningness of it, but then there's also, like, of course you have to act on on it. He's, of course, he, Will can do no wrong because I love, because I love him. And of course, <laughs> if Will says so, you have to investigate me. Well, and he's totally using it as, like, a power play. Like, he's using it as a power play, but he's all, it's, it's almost like, just because we know, I feel like it's almost like he's proud of of Will and saying, like, you know? Oh, I think he absolutely is. I think he's proud of Will for having figured it out. Because you can see it a couple of times when Will is complaining about it during these two episodes. And Hannibal kind of smiles a little bit about it. I think he's super impressed that Will figured it out. There's a smugness to his in- untouchable position. But there's also, like, you're sexy when you're right kind of a thing. Yeah. But then Jack also says, I also can't ignore that my bloodhound went mad before he pointed in your direction. Mm -hmm. And then they have an interesting conversation about how you can't necessarily define will as mad or not mad by conventional standards. And then there was the line, we can't define will at all, which I liked. Which ties back to what you and I talked about a bunch of times in season one about what is he? Is he crazy? Is he mad? Why do they keep saying he's mad when that's not what they mean? Yeah. You know? I think they've all kind of agreed that we have no idea. Will Graham. How do I even begin to describe Will Graham? Will Graham is flawless. (laughs) I hear his brain is insured for $10,000. One time he punched me in the face. (laughs) It was awesome. I hear he does fly fly fishing commercials in in Japan. Japan. I don't have anything else for that except for Hannibal in that white suit with the pink shirt. I die. That's all. Mess Mickelson gets really nice and like goldeny tan, and I just can't handle it. I have my own notes about the white suit, but they so... will wait until Fashion Week because if you get me started on that, we're gonna be here a while. Okay. I have a lot of Fashion Week notes for these two episodes. I am just going to warn you. And also, there are themes. There are whole themes that I noticed about the way clothes and colors happen between these two episodes. Awesome. So, I'm going to hold off on that. I'm warning you now. I went deep. Okay, also, the shooting script for this episode Uh is in a different order than the episode was edited together. So I don't remember what order things happen in. So what happens after this Jack and Hannibal? Is it, um... It's Will is hallucinating about fishing in the river, and then he sees the raven stag to, you know, dissociate from the fact that he has to talk to Chilton. Gotcha. Okay. Oh my gosh. Chilton. Why 
Does he not have a southern accent? I want him to have a southern accent. He has a southern accent in, in Silence of the Lambs. Okay, interesting. Because, of course, I didn't know that. So his southern accent but, is more subtle in season one, but season two it's almost gone. The cadence of his, like, the cadence of the writing of his speech makes me think he should be southern. Well, he, he has a faint sort of old southern boy tint to it in season one, but it's almost gone now. It's almost like Eddie Izzard scared it out of him. Yeah. So Chilton, his first line is, how does that make you feel? And we have no idea what he's talking about. My first line for this whole scene was, oh, go die in a hole, Chilton. <laughs> he's just the worst. And <sighs> my dumb phone. Um, he's the worst. The worst. Um, Add that to the gifts we're going to have to put on the site for... <laughs> I know. In the blog post. Um, and Will says, I'm not going to talk to you. I want to talk to Dr. Lecter. Yeah. So, I have notes about that. Will's whole thing about, it makes me feel like you're lobbing softballs. Because Will knows exactly what sort of a quack psychiatrist Chilton is because he worked with the whole Abel Gideon thing. Right? And also, he's sitting in this, like, little visitor cage that does look like a dunk tank, admittedly. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, he's like, no, Chilton, you're just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. He's like, I know you have no idea what you're doing. That whole thing was beautifully written, and I, I noticed that, too. I did not comment on it in my notes, but I noticed, like, hey, it's like there's a line of dunk tanks, except they're sad dunk tanks. I love watching Will come into a place of power. Um... And just even in these two first episodes, and I have notes about it later, um, I want to say episode two, probably. Okay, so what is anyway. after Chilton in the dunk tank? So there's Chilton in the dunk tank. Can we put him in a dunk tank? Oh my gosh. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> um, for his I want to talk to Dr. Lecter line, I mean, it was, well, it's his fault you're in here, but he's not a quack like Chilton. Right? He's... Something else. He's he's got he's he's not legitimate per se, but he's still more fun to see on screen than Chilton. I don't know. Let that say about Chilton what it will. He's not going to convince you you're the Chesapeake Ripper, but he might convince you you are some other kind of serial killer. Also, what does it say that we would rather have an ab- an abusive, manipulative? cannibalistic serial killer on screen than just, you know, an idiot trying to do his job and gain a little glory in the world. He's prettier. And less annoying. Like, Hannibal is many things. I have said many things about him on the show, but he's not annoying. Yeah, well, that's, like, one of the most interesting dynamics about the show as a TV show is that Hannibal is the bad guy. And yet, the good guys are so annoying. Well, not all of them. Well, no, just Chilton. Just right. Chilton. Like, the crime trio are great. Jack is great. Alana. Alana is flawless. An absolute angel from heaven. Bedelia, another absolute angel from heaven. And then there's Chilton. Yeah. Speaking of Bedelia, is this the scene where Hannibal goes to talk to her and he says, Will Graham wants to see me, or is that later? Mm, it's, it's, it's close. First, we have um, Cynthia Nixon, who I remembered from her run on Sex in the City. 
a bit of trivia about her character. Her name is Katie. It's spelled K-A-D-E. Her last name is Purnell, with two R's, P-R-U-R-N-E-L-L. Mm-hmm. Um, she was created by Brian Fuller because he did not hold the rights to the character Paul Krendler from the original novels, so he anagrammed the name Paul Krendler to Katie Purnell. Purnell, that's hard to say. And that is, so she's the FBI oversight lady. I love it. I figured it's just easier to sprinkle the little bits of uh, trivia in instead of try to come back to them later. Agreed. So she's talking to Jack and Alana. That whole scene is beautifully written. Most of my notes about it, however, are Fashion Week related. Okay. We will go to it later. Then is it Hannibal and Bedelia? Then it's the scene where the Parks and Rec guys find... Oh my gosh! Okay, so this shooting script is in an entirely different order. Then I, I will just let you <laughs> tell me what we're talking about, and then I'll talk about it. If y'all could see my notes, you would laugh, because the fact that we are using this as the actual order things happen in the episode is hilarious. At least they're in order. The problem is my notes always, like, I skip multiple scenes because I'm busy summarizing and don't really have thoughts. I try to write something about each scene, even if it's a quip about something the characters are saying, which is all the poor Parks and Rec guys get. Probably some probably dead beavers. I'm like, no, it isn't. Why would it be beavers? Why? You're in Hannibal. Heaven forbid things are so normal. So yeah, multiple dead bodies and the poor guys are freaking out. It's a really short scene. Yeah. And then we come to Hannibal and Bedelia. Okay. I just love watching them try to one-up each other in all their therapy sessions. Like, honestly, I feel like... I feel like if we did not have the clear um, hanagram, because I can admit that there is some very clear, even if one-sided, hanagram subtext in this show. And I actually have a funny note about telling that to my father-in-law later. <laughs> he asked me to give him a summary of what this show is about, and he... He, he scrunched his face up a little bit when I told him there was homoerotic subtext. And I was like, oh no, it's all one-sided. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why that was better for him, but it was. And you know. You can keep talking. I just anyway. Have, I'm writing notes in my notes folder over here. No worries. Um, that worries me. This feels like a thing that you're going to use to come back and haunt me with later. That's all my notes folder is. Yeah, I, that's why I don't like it. And, um, anyway, if there wasn't the clear and present hanagram subtext, I feel like a lot of people would have been shipping Hannibal and Bedelia. I don't not ship them. Also, have you realized how often I use double negatives like that? It's constant. You know you do. So I apologize if it annoys people. But, like, they're not my primary ship. But I don't not ship them. Like, if they got together in the show, you would not have been upset at all. No, not even a little bit. I think there was a point where I was telling Jesse about this whole dynamic on the show. I'm like, Maz Mikkelsen just looks at everyone vaguely sexually in this show. And in real life. It's just the way his face is. And he just looked at me like, this is the man who plays Le Chiffre in Casino Royale that you still need to show me? I'm just like, mm-hmm. 
I promise it makes sense. When He's you also watch the, the show. dad in Rogue One. Oh yeah. Yep. That's what Jesse knows him from even more, but. Um, okay. I only have anyway. one note about this scene, and let me find the context for it. I have so much on this scene. Um, go ahead, go first. Okay. If we come to mine, I will give it. Starts out. Will Graham asking to see you betrays his clear intent to manipulate you. Seeing him betrays your clear intent to manipulate him. And my note on that was, gosh, I love you, Bedelia. How much do you know of Hannibal? And then Hannibal's just, I miss him. And I was, I basically said, well, you did this to you, so. And then I typed out the shrug emoji because I don't know how to put the shrug emoji into a Google Doc. <laughs> but that I was what I needed. I have a text shortcut saved in my uh, phone. Oh, cool. For it. And then, you're obsessed with Will Gray. Graham, thank you for using that word, Bedelia. I'm intrigued. And then... Obsessively. And then this is my actual note on, I'm intrigued. Like, just the tone he did it. This is my actual note. Bullshit, hair splitter. You sound like a teenage girl coolly denying a crush to her friends. I would know. (laughs) I like that Bedelia knows that Will is trying to manipulate Hannibal. I don't think Hannibal believes her. Very much. I don't think so either. I I think... Go ahead. Either that or he doesn't think he can be manipulated. Or he doesn't care. Could be any one of those things. But I also think that, like, he just likes Will so darn much. Like, as a friend or as anything else. You know. He just... He likes him. He thinks he's cool. He thinks he's smart. You know. And so I think even if Will is manipulating him, I think he's like, yeah cool let's play like let's do it like not only would Hannibal be into that sort of thing but also he's too we've I've said it before and I'll say it again that Hannibal is going like teenage girl with a crush over this oh he is and he totally what like at the end of season one like Alicia Alicia said in her email where she was like he's like giddy when he walks in to see Will in the prison for the first time or in the in the hospital. Yeah. And and Hannibal doesn't super display emotions on his face. So you have to know what you're looking for. But he is like so excited about it. Yeah. And then when she said and he will take advantage of that, my note was gosh, I hope so. <laughs> they were t- they were laying the foundations for the scene we see in episode 2 of Will playing Hannibal like a violin. Where he starts to cry. Uh-huh. And I was just like, oh my gosh, please, 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 please. I just, it's not that I hate Hannibal as a character. He's a fun character. He's wonderful to watch. But Will Graham I mean, he's first. a horrible person. Yeah. But he's just really entertaining. He's a he's an entertaining, horrible person. Will Graham is my first priority. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. <laughs> but, and then the, why is he a friend... He sees his own mentality as grotesque but useful, like a chair of antlers. One, I like the flip, where a lot of last season... She's just zooming. I think she found a dust bunny, because I saw her chasing or kind of running away from a small one earlier. I think she has found a small dust bunny. Yeah, yeah. I haven't swept the floors in a bit. Anyway, I like that this season we're kind of getting a flip of what we had last season with Will seeing Hannibal even when he didn't know he was seeing Hannibal now we're getting Hannibal seeing Will in that way mm-hmm. 
I like that mirror. Two, as I put it, holy cow, Brian Fuller is just getting his mileage on the antler imagery. Oh, absolutely. Like, I almost want to tweet him, like, you do a lot with antlers. And, like, every every writer I know has their thing that they like to use as imagery. Um, the chair of antlers metaphor I actually found a little heavy-handed, personally. It's, I mean, it's not heavy-handed coming from Hannibal, because he doesn't know about all the antler things that Will is seeing in his mind. But we do. Like, the viewers know that Will sees a raven stag and that he sees the wendigo with antlers. And everything, you know. See, I was more thinking of all the antlers we got because of Garrett Jacob Hobbs, a.k.a. World's Worst Dead Dad. In his antler room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's all. But I was also thinking of the Raven Stagger the Wendigo, but that's a good point. Hannibal, he says that. Also, there's- My one, one note is, is near. <laughs> there's one more thing I want to cover. When I brought up Brian Fuller just getting his mileage from the antler imagery- you had a smug, knowing, almost Hannibal-like smile on your face, and I want to know why. Moi? Oh, do go on. <laughs> I'm guessing it's for a thing that I'm not allowed to know. You guessed correctly. Ugh. I just, I like making the faces because you have such good reactions to them that it's very gratifying for me. Um... That whole moi thing you just didn't give me a gif. <laughs> I don't oh, know man. if you watched me noticing it the first time you made the face, but I was no, like, No, because okay. I was looking over there and you didn't pause in your talking, so I wasn't sure if you'd seen me, but I wasn't going to bring it up. I scrunched my brows together like, that's interesting. So, okay. Sometimes I know that if I ask you about something right away, we're going to go off too much and I'll lose my train of thought. So I put a pin in it that time. Nice. But that's a pin I had to ask about before we went on. My only note on this scene is that um, Hannibal is talking about that he likes that Will is honest because Will can't control his thoughts. He can't not think about stuff. And he says he can't repress who he is. There's an honesty in that I admire. And Bedelia says, I imagine there's an honesty in that you can relate to. What can't you repress, Hannibal? And we just, we hold on Hannibal for like a weirdly long amount of time for TV, so like five seconds. And then he smiles right before the scene ends. And I love that. And the mind... It wants to reel. Because... Because what can't he repress? Is it his cannibalism? Is that he is falling in love with Will Graham? Is it both of those things? Is it... I would say... The, honestly, the first, the first thing that comes to mind, if I honestly ask myself what Hannibal can't repress, it's that he's so gosh darn extra. <laughs> he's like, I mean, have you seen my wardrobe? The wardrobe, the cloche that he brought the veal to Bedelia on. Like, honestly, like, I'm. It, one of the reasons I am so sad to see Bedelia go. We don't know how much she knows. Also, where did she go? We will get to this at the end of episode two. Okay. So let's next see. is Hannibal goes to visit Will? I think so. Yes? Am yes. I right? Okay, awesome. 
So Hannibal goes to visit Will, not in the visiting room, but in his regular cell. Um, and Will tells Hannibal that I used to hear my thoughts inside my skull like with his own voice. And now my inner voice sounds like you. And he says, I can't get you out of my head. I had a note on that too. You go first. My note was, um... But what I meant by, um, was, well, that's not that... I bet that wasn't food for the Hanagram shippers at all. This is the first of many instances in this show, some of which are even in these two episodes, where they use language that is coded as romantic, either between Hannibal and Will or about Hannibal and Will. Um... It's not being used in a romantic context, but TV viewers know that those words are usually used in a romantic context, so we're still going to make that connection, even though the context here doesn't match. The writing relies on our prior knowledge of the language of TV and the language of cinema to make that connection for us. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's obviously a very, very deliberate choice. Um, and it happens throughout, and I think it's fascinating because it happens a lot. And it does get less and less subtle. Um, but yeah, I can't get you out of my head. Or later when Bedelia says, you two deserve each other. It's this language that the audience is pre-programmed to see as romantic, even if it's not being used in a romantic context. Because we understand it that way, we know that it does still mean that. But it also means the other stuff, like, you know, you have gotten into my head and that's a bad thing. And now you're in there, I can't get you out. <laughs> yeah. Which, honestly, it's clever and it's more than, it's it's just another reason why, like, honestly, my top Hanagram song is becoming Teeth by Five Seconds of Summer. Yeah, you played that one for me. Because it's, it, you can't deny that there is subtext there but it's not healthy but it's still compelling which is what that song is about yeah uh it's also fun to listen to and also oh my gosh i will pay someone so much money to do a paso doble that reflects that man i love ballroom dance um okay and then hannibal again tries to be like yeah because we're friends Friendship can sometimes involve a breach of individual separateness. Like, no, it isn't. That's not how healthy relationships works. I think my actual note was, oh, yes. Spoken like the unhealthy, boundary-crushing abuser you are, Hannibal. (laughs) But then Will just comes back with, you're not my friend. The light of friendship won't reach us for a million years. That's how far away from friendship we are. That is a beautiful line. Like, that is one of my favorite lines. And Hannibal doesn't like it, so he switches back to the murders. And he's like, yeah, because I imagine it's easier to believe that I'm responsible for the murders than to accept that you are. And tells him that he needs to take responsibility for what he did. Which, very gaslighty. Yeah. I probably don't need to say that. As is his MO. But you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it up. And I actually wrote, don't back down, Will. You know what happened. And then I just love 
the end line of that scene, I'm going to remember Dr. Lecter, and when I do, there will be a reckoning. And I'm just like, yes! It's so good. And then Hannibal says, I have huge faith in you, Will. Because I think still, he wants Will to figure it out, because if Will can figure it out, and if he can prove it, it means that he is smart enough to be on Hannibal's level. Well, there's, there's always the classic line that serial killers want to be caught because they want to be understood. Who this... was it who did that? Um, I've heard it in so many places. No, an actual serial killer did this one time. I want to say TRK, but I don't know if that's right. I don't um, think it was TRK. was on the run. My brain is like, Ed Gein! And I'm like, no. No, it wasn't Gein. <laughs> um, it but wasn't... he was on the run... And they were talking about him on the news. He was listening to the radio. And he was so annoyed that they couldn't figure out who he was that he called and turned himself in. I don't... No, that wasn't TRK, I don't think. It wasn't H.H. Holmes. No, it was modern. It was... It wasn't the Unabomber. It wasn't Son of Sam. It wasn't TRK, but it was somebody like that. Somebody like... Oh, gosh. It wasn't the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez... I don't know if we're ever going to remember. So let's just go ahead and move on and we can look it up as we go. Okay. Edmund Emil Kemper. Ed Kemper. That's right. I knew that. Oh my gosh. I've never seen a photo of Richard Ramirez before this. He's freaking terrifying. Well, that's going to haunt my nightmares. So Ed Kemper, he was the one. He called. Like they weren't catching him and he was annoyed about it. So he called them. And turned himself in because he thought they were too dumb to figure it out. You know what? I finally some- found someone whose mugshot scares me more than Charles Manson and it's Richard Ramirez. Yeah, he's a creepy dude. Sheesh. Okay, so after this, Ugh. Hannibal goes to the crime lab to submit his DNA. He gets a cheek swab and they have all of his suits. It's a cool slash gross shot when they're getting the cheek swab. The wrinkles are weird. I almost wish that I could show my mother-in-law this show because since she's a former nurse, there's a lot that she could appreciate about it. Uh-huh. But it would there's a lot that would be too much for her. So Hannibal has willingly turned over himself. His suits, his personage. Yeah. That's how confident he is that they won't find anything on him. Yeah. And his, another one of cheeky. That's the word I wanted earlier instead of little shit. I wanted cheeky. That's good. Cheeky's a good word. Another cheeky remark from Hannibal. I like to leave an indelible mark wherever I go. Like, like yeah, you're... Okay. That's what you can't repress. You're so gosh darn extra. <laughs> you nerd. Um, and then they all go to the crime scene. Apparently Hannibal's the new will. Which right. I was I was so mad. I'm like, no, you are not taking his place as my baby. But also, I feel like... <sighs> somebody has to do it. Somebody has to do it, but even more than that, I feel like... <sighs> well, there's a thing that I feel like about Hannibal taking Will's place. And I will touch on it later. Because it's referenced more directly later on in the episode. Okay. Um, there was a moment where Hannibal's looking at the bodies and he makes a face. He looks was, really grossed out. You're like, oh, what? The the cannibal finds, this, finds the serial killer here shocking and distasteful? 
Okay. I mean, if I found a hamburger that had been floating in the water for three days and coated in resin and was starting to rot, I'd probably be pretty grossed out about that. Or a cow. Or a chicken. You know. Still gross. Even though it is a food animal. Well, I guess when you put it that way, that's what... Oh my gosh, what if he thinks it's a waste of meat? He's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Why did you throw this out? You put resin on this? I think he respects other killers' visions. He's like, I I do this. Tobias makes instruments. This guy does that art thing. Whatever that is. Um, Because later when he pops in and he goes, I love your work. You can tell he's being serious. Yeah. He thinks this is really cool. And like, if it wasn't humans dying, I can kind of see his point. It's really interesting. And like, the metaphor of the mural is like, it's really cool. But also dead humans. And horrifying. Um. Um. I don't have any notes about this part, so... I have a couple. Um, He brings up how some people who, like, do the mounted fish on the wall, coat them in resin, and then just, like, fish models? Like, things that fishermen do? Which you know about... Do we know a fisherman? (laughs) Did you... Did you... Did you research how fishermen do this, Hannibal? Are you going to make a fish model for your boyfriend? (laughs) Gosh, he's like a teenage girl with a crush. And I can say that because I have been a teenage girl with a crush. Yes. It's okay to say it. It's okay for me to say it. Um, A++ acting from Mass when describing Hannibal being in Will's shoes. Like, he's almost kind of like... Could he look more aroused in that scene? I'm sorry. I wasn't going to put it that way, but thank you for bringing it up so I didn't have to. So I didn't have to, like, dance delicately around it. Like, like, I want to pull it up and watch it again, just so I can look at it. Because he says, I stood in Will's shoes, I looked through his eyes, and I saw death how I imagined he would see it. Like, he stops, (laughs) he does that kind of like, like, deep chest breathing kind of open mouth thing that William Shatner does a lot. When he's being Captain Kirk, looking at Spock, being being particularly Spockish, <laughs> that's why I recognized it because it came from a different slashy ship that I ship. See, for me, it was like I was half expecting him to, you know, if we could hear inside his thoughts, just be like, mm. <laughs> well, like, and you know, he's imagining not just what death looks like through Will's eyes, but what it would be like. To hunt with him. Why have you just clapped your hand over your mouth? I can't say it. It's too vulgar. Say it. I'll edit it out if I have to. If one lets one's mind wander enough, considering the subtext of the show, and, well, if one thinks about it being in... His shoes could be the next best thing to being in In other parts of him? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It is very intimate. It doesn't even have to be physical. Although, 
that's always fun too. Um, and I th- and I realized that, and I clapped my hands to my mouth because <laughs> I thought I am a vulgar person. For I th- mean, we already talked about the whole fish hook scene. We've kind of like covered that this is going to come up. Um, Why do I keep thinking about penetration analogies? Because gay. <laughs> but it, like... I feel like I'm not supposed to be the person bringing this up. This show, it does that to you. It's the slash goggles. They're on. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> the slash goggles. The slash goggles. It's like how beer goggles make anyone look attractive so you sleep with them because yeah, yeah. you're drunk. Slash goggles. That's how I realized I was bisexual. Slash goggles. Oh, okay. Um, which I know I touched on before, but yeah, shipping is like what made me realize that that's what I was doing. Was I was like, oh, I like, like, like you. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Um, because my relationship with this person I had a crush on looked a lot like the relationships in the ships I was shipping. And that's what like made it click for me that that's what I was that that's what that was. And then all these other pieces like from my childhood just like fell into place, and I was like, oh, okay. Like things I didn't even think I had questions about, like girls I had crushes on in like high school or elementary school. Like once I was like, oh, if I look at it like this, all of those things make sense now. It was interesting. Okay. Um. Anyway, slash goggles. Slash goggles. It's like beer goggles or rose-colored glasses. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's actually a very widely accepted term, but it's one of my favorites. So. It's new to me and I like it. Um, is this the scene where Bedelia fires him? Oh, no, it's the scene no. where he gives her consent to talk to the FBI. Yeah. A++ acting from Gillian Anderson in this scene. Yes. I mean, A++ acting for her always. And she says, Agent Crawford doesn't know what you're capable of. And he comes back with, neither do you. And then he smiles, and I am a dead man. There's a moment where she looks at him, you're not, and he looks at her, you're not just lying for me. I'm like, what does he have on you, Bedelia? She talks a lot about her attack in this, oh, you have been blessed by chainsaw. I have been chosen. Am I allowed to pet her at this point? You can you can try. Y'all. Aww. That's so cute. Okay, so after this... Oh, we have the Willana scenes. I will let you take oh. the wheel. So she's in a dress playing with his dogs. You guys. My heart. Mm-hmm. She is impeccably dressed. She's able to play with dogs. In a dress. I love her so, so much. And I have a lot to say about that outfit, but it will wait until Fashion Week. Okay. Otherwise, we could be here for a while. Her light metronome is very pretty, Mm -hmm. which this show is all about the aesthetic. But it's like the upside down version of Will's voop voop. Oh, it is. Thank you. Thank you for that, my little shipper heart. Um... So, one thing I noticed, Hypnosis Alana, that's what I decided to call her little form where she's all black oh, the and shadowy ethereal. one, yeah. So, she's still black, like the Ravenstag and the Wendigo, which has been Will's hallucination 
thin slicing indication of Hannibal so far. Mm -hmm. But she's far from being the hard, threatening thing that the Raven Stag, and even more so the Wendigo, often is. Her hair is flowing Mm -hmm. like she's an otherworldly being. And when he goes under as the hypnosis Alana figure kisses him, it's it's very soothing. It reminds me a lot, just purely on a visual level, of... um... In Harry Potter 7, when Ron is trying to destroy the locket Horcrux, Mm -hmm. and he sees the Harry and Hermione figures making out and talking about how he's a loser. The visual is very similar to that. It's very soft and pretty and dark at the same time. Yeah. And one thing that I thought of is, why does he picture these things in black? Like, black can be many things. Like, obviously, there's the darkness, which you get with the raven stag and the um, the wendigo. But for someone whose mind works, whose mind is always on, like, Will's, there's it's, something... It's like a ma- like an eye mask or a weighted blanket. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the blissful oblivion. Mm-hmm. It's being able to turn off your brain. Because I, I am not on a gen- genius level like Will Graham. I am not on the autism spectrum, but I do... Once upon a time, I dated a computer guy. And he said, your brain your brain is like a computer that has a supercharged processor, so you're able to freak yourself out at the speed of light. And sometimes I will lay in my bed, literally unable to turn off my brain. Mm-hmm. And when I have found things that help me turn off my brain, it is bliss. I have not tried a weighted blanket. I have I have a 200-pound warm teddy bear that I sleep with <laughs> that also breathes and snores and sometimes elbows me in the face. Okay, so in Will's hallucination... Yes. So after Shadowy Alana, Will sees himself at Hannibal's dinner table, and it is packed. It is a feast. And there are... It's a close-up of pomegranates, which now I'm paying attention to. Oh my gosh, I forgot to look for pomegranates. I feel like I'm an idiot. The thing that I thought of, like, the feast on the table, just the way it's set up, it reminded me of two things. One of which I put in my notes, and the other of which I just remembered now. Um, have you seen Pan's Labyrinth? No. Um, have you seen clips of the creepy thing, the... The guy with the eyes? Yeah. It looks like his table. Oh. A little bit. But the thing I thought of was, uh, there was a term that's used, was used back in ye olden times, um, a witch's Sabbath. And that, especially with the music, it almost reminded me of the witch's Sabbath by, I want to say it's Berlioz? I could be wrong. I probably am. But there was a composer who was famous back in the day who did a musical piece called The Witch's Sabbath. And for some reason, just that whole thing, I thought, Witch's Sabbath. Hmm. And the whole idea of it was that, like, you know, they're eating stuff you're not supposed to eat. And if there's a person who eats stuff that you're not supposed to eat, it Hannibal. Yeah. Um, and then the ear is on his plate, and he wakes up. So he's starting to... I mean, obviously he associates 
the ear and the death of Abigail Hobbs with Hannibal because he believes Hannibal is responsible. And I think that's all he got out of the hypnosis, which is something he already knew. I don't think it was fun for him. No. Which is why he doesn't want to do it anymore. But it does unlock the door. That's true, because later he starts to remember more things. Mm -hmm. I have more notes about that scene. But first, we come to poor, poor Roland Umber. He's, He's a recovering heroin addict. Just trying to get home on the subway. People are saying weird stuff that we don't say to people to him. You have nice skin. I've said that to people, but it's always... Ooh, Did that? she just lick you? Yeah, she just licked my the underside of my arm. Oh. When he's looking at his car, looking at the bag, <laughs> sticking out of the trunk. I should not have done this. The bag in the body is for you. I know. I was like, oh, you're going to get dumped in your trunk and then driven away. Which I'm pretty sure is exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. And the way his apartment looks... I forgot for a moment, because it's such a callback, I forgot for a moment that they couldn't get the rights to anyone from Silence of the Lambs, and I was like, wait, is this Buffalo Bill? Because <laughs> it's very reminiscent of the when Buffalo Bill kidnaps the congresswoman's daughter in Silence of the Lambs. Huh. I can never remember the actor's name, which is sad because he's so good, but I just keep wanting to call him Stottlemyre. Because that's the other thing oh, I know that, that actor from. Yeah. Before we get to um, Umber. Yes. Which the color Umber is like a rich earthy brown. So that's, you know, subtle. Um, oh, yeah. It's I... when Hannibal and Chilton have dinner. And they're, and Hannibal says, you've challenged me. It's meatless, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Chilton tells Hannibal that Will keeps talking about him. And you know Hannibal just loves that. Oh, yeah. See, the thing that I thought about with Umber Mm -hmm. is the Umbers from Game of Thrones. Oh. Yeah, I didn't think of that. I was like, like, oh, it's a color palette. He's brown. His name is brown. Sometimes I forget that Umber is a a color. Yeah, I don't for some reason. I could probably pick it out of a Crayola box. And then Hannibal tells Chilton... um, I'm not talking about the fact that Will believes Hannibal's the killer. And then Hannibal just says, Well, in that case, you're dining with a psychopathic murderer, Frederick. And then they laugh about it. Cheeky bugger. I respect Beverly so much. Just taking Will the file so he doesn't go crazy. Also, him organizing the photos by skin tone is like one of the most, like, textbook slash cliche like autism things that Will does. Is it really? I always got that vibe from it. I never looked up if that specifically is a thing, but like people on the spectrum tend to have like their order of how things go and how things should be. Yeah. You know? Um, I feel like you hear about it most with children, but obviously adults would also have the same thing. Um, just how he looks at them and then immediately knows that's what's happening. I always just found that really interesting. That is interesting. And then after that is the scene where Will recovers the memory of the ear The beach. tube. The tube. This is where I had to pause and actually go into the next room to ask my mother-in-law for her expert opinion. 
because my mother-in-law used to be a nurse. So does intubation or a feeding tube, I guess, leave signs of damage? No, it is not. And the thing is, I did not describe the scene perfectly for her. I merely told her, hey, I have a question for you that I need your expert opinion as a nurse on. And so I gave her a brief description of, this man has framed his friend for a murder by shoving the ear of one of their close friends down his throat. And then my mother-in-law made a face. She said, oh, okay, go on. <laughs> and I told her, and he did this by shoving a length of plastic medical tubing like you would have used, they would have used to force feed people mm -hmm. back in the day down his throat and depositing the ear thusly. I just got really excited about the uh, musical score in that scene. Sorry, go ahead. Keep anyway, um, so I said, but since he had to force feed it down Will's throat, wouldn't that have left physical signs that they would have noticed when Will was taken to the hospital? And I was, look, wait, and I was guessing that her answer was going to be not necessarily. Now, this is all I told her. Mm -hmm. I did not tell her the fact that Hannibal tipped Will's head back, for instance. Like swallowing a sword. And she said, no, because what they do is they tilt the head back so as not to get the vagus nerve. And modern medical tubing is so, they make it purposely very, like, it's very, not, not, not slick, but it's so smooth. They make it so, so smooth so that it won't snag anything or cause damage on the way down. Well, and even if it had, would anybody have even thought to look for that? It would have, it wouldn't have worked. They have to be so, so careful doing that, because if you stimulate the vagus nerve, everything goes to hell. And I said, see, yeah, the, the man who was, this man used to be an ER doctor, she says, oh yes, he could have made that without making a scratch on Will. Cool. To do the ear. The music in that scene... I use the term music uh, loosely. Uh-huh. It's like that accordion piping. Yeah. That makes that sound. See, which is what they, I think they do use, or it's part of the intubation. It's maybe not the one that goes down to the throat, but it, it's the outside the mouth part. Uh-huh. And even if viewers don't know that that's why they are making these associations, they're going to hear that sound. It's going to remind them of that kind of piping, like... It's all tied together. See, when I heard that sound, I was like, that sounds like it's shredding stuff up in there. It was just, for some reason, that was, like, worse than nails on a chalkboard for me. It's like when they give you those big, I was going to say big gulps, but, like, the plastic yeah. jug water bottles with the the, the straw thing at the my hospital. Ho they give you the ones at the hospital. My hospital sippy has that kind of straw. Yeah, that's the sound. Um, the last note that I have for episode one is Will Graham, again, being bad at jokes, where he tells, I want to say it's Jack, but I actually don't remember at the end of episode one. It's Jack it's that Jack, he's talking to. Where he says, I'm not the intelligent psychopath you're looking for. Zoop. <laughs> one thing I noticed about that scene, when Will realizes that Jack is there, when Jack kind of comes in to... Will's when he's visualizing place. the river, yeah. Um, Alana mm -hmm. appeared in black. Mm -hmm. Hannibal's two thin slicing forms, the Wendigo and the Ravenstag, both appear in black. 
Jack is himself. Which I thought was kind of interesting. I think Will, he's just standing there in his cell, imagining that he's fishing in his happy place. And I think that he knew that it was real Jack who had come to talk to him. So it like takes him a second to come out of the visualization, but he looks over and he sees Jack. It's like when your radio alarm clock starts going off and in your dream, like someone's playing music in the oh, next room. Oh yeah. All of, you know. You're having a perfectly lovely dream and then all of a sudden everyone in it starts singing the lowbooksales.com jingle. And you're like, why? Just what the? I think oh. it's more like that. Um, I guess the, the very end of the episode is Umber waking up. Mm-hmm. When he's being sewn into the mural. <sighs> so let's just jump right to episode two. Unless you wanted to do episode one fashion stuff first. Um, no, I can do... I can do all of fashion week together. Okay. Because of the themes that I noticed. Um, da, 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 I scrolled too far. Um, my first note for episode two. Fair warning, fam. This is some horror movie shit. Yeah, the opening is really hard to watch. I get, kept getting distracted by wondering if skin would tear like that because skin is really elastic. Mostly, I just had internal screaming. Th- this was one of the most unsettling episodes of the entire show for me. This is what, well, not unsettling episode as a whole, but one of the most, that this might be my most unsettling moment of the entire series so far is watching Roland Umber tear chunks out of himself to get away. Yeah. Like, that could have gone in the Saw movies. It's too beautifully shot to do so. It doesn't have the brutality of the Saw movies quite. But it's that level of just visceral escapist horror. Mm -hmm. And when he got out and he was running from the killer... I actually nicknamed him Naked and Afraid because I was like, run, Naked and Afraid, run! Oh, no. And he was so close to escape and then right at the end he biffed it on that little mini cliff and probably broke his spine. Oh, it was bad. He was dead by the time he hit the water. Yeah. Um. First I was like, oh, maybe, maybe he only hurt his bum a bit? Nope, he oh. didn't just hurt his bum a bit. But he knew that if the killer caught him, then he definitely would be dead. Whereas if he jumped, he might survive. He didn't, unfortunately. But, you know. Like. Yeah. And then we get to the scene where Hannibal and Alana go to visit Will, and Will plays Hannibal like a Stradivarius violin. And it was beautiful to watch. And my note was, yes, baby boy, I am so proud of you. I loved... When Will is telling Hannibal about how betrayed he felt because the only thing that was real was that he trusted Hannibal. And that, I don't think, is a lie. I think Will is doing what Hannibal does, where he tells mostly the truth, but only the parts of it that are helpful. Either way, it's a masterstroke. And it is so intense. Like, the way he... Like, we've talked about Will and the eye contact. And he is unblinking when he's saying this to Hannibal. And Hannibal falls for it. Oh, hook, line, and sinker. Hey, fishing metaphor. Hey! Um, I just, I love it. And then Will starts to cry. 
goes back to his cell, not a tear in sight. I love it. It's so good. It was beautiful. And that's when, like, in case you missed it previously, that's when the viewers all get to know, oh, Will's got a plan. He is at work here. It's beautiful. And Hannibal just falls for it. Oh. This calculating man. Well, of course he does because he's a narcissist. Like, in addition to everything else. He is totally a narcissist. He's a narcissist who's who's just had his crush tell me the only real thing was that I trusted you. And he's like, yes it is. He just, he eats it up. The next thing I have is when Bedelia goes to visit Hannibal at his office. Do you have anything before that? Uh, no. My next thing is, oh hi Bedelia. Kind of spelled like the way people make the... Oh hi Mark. That's, yeah. What you doing here? And then... Yeah, girl, kick him to the curb! This scene. The tension. I remember watching this for the first time. Okay. I'm smiling so big I can't talk. Um, she really is. It's, it's fun to watch. I remember watching this for the first time. Because he comes out from around the desk and she takes a step back and her heel clicks on the floor... And he looks at her feet and he notices that she's walking away from him. And he kind of cocks his head a little bit. He's like, huh, that's weird. You're more scared of me than usual. And then the framing or the the shots of her feet retreating and his feet stalking toward her. Like I remember watching it like it's in slow motion. Like I felt like time had stopped. It very much has that feel to it. I almost wrote... Oh no, not another Miriam last. Oh no, oh no. It very much reminds me of that. Um, my notes are in all caps. The feet! The scene with the feet! The stalking feet! <laughs> stalking feet. Because he's stalking her. He's not in his stockings this time, but... Um, like, he's literally stalking her. Like a predator. Yeah. But he does let her go. Which I think is interesting. Granted, he does go to her house later to kill her. She's just not there. Um, The Hannibal is an ambush predator. You'll never see me coming. That's what it reminds me of. (laughs) Yay, Ben Kingsley. Um, No, I love this scene. And then Bedelia has the line, then maybe you deserve each other. Which is, like I said before, um, it's another instance of like, a love trope line being used to describe Hannibal and Will. And also, it's like, it's a dig, the way she says it. But I almost wonder if she did it on purpose, too, to kind of, like, distract Hannibal. Like, if if she knows Hannibal as well as we can believe from her other actions then she has probably picked up on just how much of a friend he would like to be to Will, if you know what I mean. And maybe... No, I don't. What do you mean? (laughs) I almost wonder if she picked up that line on purpose. If she picked that line on purpose. Don't die. I just inhaled saliva. To appeal to his funny little schoolgirl crush on the FBI's prize bloodhound. I wouldn't be surprised if she did. She's smart like that. Yeah. Um, 
What's next? I have Hannibal talking to Will in the cage. I might not have got anything from there. The next thing I go to is Hannibal's with the crime trio and Jack. Okay. Also, I love Bedelia's line, though, before she exits. Before the, then maybe you deserve each other. To what end besides your own? I'm just like, thank you for calling him out on how selfish he is. That makes me so stupidly giddily happy. (laughs) I Um, love it. And then there's a moment where he's like, not sure where to st- where Hannibal's not sure where to stand with the crime tree. I'm like, oh, you clumsy man. I know. You're almost cute. Well, I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's just faking all of that so that they think he's kind of dumb. Yeah, maybe. So they think he's more clueless than he is. Um, but it's still kind of adorable at the same time. Let me pull up the script because this one actually is in order so I can keep track of where we're going. Okay, you're right. It is crime. It is crime, friends. And... Hannibal is mentions that they've all been sewn to something. That's when we first start to hear about that, mm-hmm. which is gross. Um, and then he says to look in the cracks in the resin for evidence, because stuff will get stuck in there, mm-hmm. which is a brilliant move. I like that he is trying to help because why wouldn't he? Yeah. Uh, my next note is just from is from later, so. I don't have a ton about this, except that I love that Hannibal is like, hmm, it's almost as if Will Graham were here in the room with us. And then Jack is like, oh, you went to talk to Will. I love the entire scene with Jack and Beverly. It's so good. I love Bev talking. I love Bev defending Will. I love Jack just like, this conversation never happened. I love her being like, I went to talk to Will because you weren't going to. Because she knows he wants to, but she yeah. knows that he can't, so she just does it and tells him that that's what she did, and he doesn't disagree with her. And of course, I put, and of course he's going to smell the body. Because he can smell stuff. Because who's a bloodhound? Hannibal. He has that sense of smell. He smelled the cancer. He smelled the encephalitis. He's like, you know how Sherlock Holmes can tell where you were in London based on the dirt on your shoes? Yeah. That's what Hannibal is doing here. If you think about it, Hannibal is the literal bloodhound. Will is almost more like a sighthound. And people talk about Will like he's a bloodhound because that's the thing people think of when they think about someone who can track. Someone who can pick up the scent of a crime. Mm-hmm. But Will's really more of a sighthound picking up the sight of a crime. The yeah. things that we can't see. Yeah, he is. Now I want to look up different sight hounds to see which one Will's most like. We can do that after. Later. The next scene, Hannibal goes to visit Will in the big hallway with all the cages. Uh-huh. And he says, I'm supposed to stand over here because that's what they told me to do. And Will says, yeah, some patients have been trying to pee on the therapists. Um, and then he says, I'm not interested in getting a pissing contest with you. Please pull up your chair. He pulls up his chair. I like the line, like, I would have thought a line would have encouraged a pissing contest. He's not wrong. Um, and then Will says, friends have a symmetrical relationship. A- again, talking about how they're not friends. Mm-hmm. Um, psychiatrist and patient, that's unbalanced. And Hannibal says, there is a power differential between a psychiatrist and a patient. One that I'm well aware of, particularly with my own therapist. But the interesting thing is that the power dynamic 
between a standard psychiatrist and patient is that the psychiatrist holds the power over the patient. They are in a place of authority over them. With Hannibal and Bedelia, Hannibal, the patient, holds the power over his psychiatrist. He's got something on her. And in this scene, Hannibal doesn't know it, but Will is in the place of power. Will, the patient, over Hannibal, the psychiatrist. Oh. Um, Which brings me back to my circle. I said, um... Will has one-upped Hannibal by manipulating him into thinking he wants to be friends. So now we know Will is lying to Hannibal to gain his trust in the great reversal of the roles from season one. In season one, Hannibal was lying to Will to gain Will's trust. Now Will is lying to Hannibal to gain Hannibal's trust. So now we know that. That's clever. Going forward. I love that. And then they start talking about the muralist. Um... And Hannibal says, Will is missing pieces of himself. Be careful what you replace them with. And then they talk about the muralist. And Hannibal says, why is he doing it? And Will says, he's missing pieces too. And I wrote, remember how I said every killer is a mirror through which to look at Will and Hannibal? Oh, yeah. People creating art to fill their missing pieces. That's Hannibal in a giant nutshell. Because when his missing piece is Will... His kills are the artiest of all the art. Yeah. <laughs> Which reminds me to show you another scene from The Office. Okay. I thought your art was the prettiest art of all the art. Anyway. Um, I don't have anything else. There's a lot more that happens in this episode, but I have barely nothing. I have quite a bit. Um, when, there's an, when Beverly takes Will a new information... There's an interesting turn on the head of the Hannibal Clarice dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Hannibal found the farm in his full. Im- and then I keep forgetting that it's not just the American Psycho raincoat that he has. It's the American. It's a full American Psycho raincoat suit. It's a whole suit. He's very clean. We have another cheeky remark. I've never seen anything like this, Doctor Lecter. I'm sure I haven't. I'm sure. And then another mirror. When Jack and Hannibal are talking about this killer, that's a mirror for Hannibal. Because he sees the people around him as a means to an end, usually food. Mm-hmm. But that line also reflects about Jack, because that's exactly what he did to Will. And Jack realizes that and goes to talk to his therapist about it. Yeah, and I just feel bad for Jack. Just like, no. I was just like, oh, Jack. No. No. Because, like, Jack also was concerned about Will. And for me, if you're concerned about someone in the way that Jack was concerned about Will, it's not just you seeing them as a means to an end. It's you seeing that they're effective and you need that skill. Yeah. But, I mean, if you boil that down, it kind of is a means to an end. Yeah, but it's not just a means to an end. He actually gives a crap. Yeah. Jack does say, I think it's in the earlier session with his therapist, not this one, but... There was no other session with the therapist. Oh, they must have been merged together then. Because in the script, there's two. Oh. Um, where Jack is talking about how I pushed Will. He's like, I knew something was wrong with him and I pushed him. Anyway. Because he, he does acknowledge that a couple of times in season one. Where yeah. he's like, Will, is there something you need to tell me? 
like please let there not be something you need to tell me because we need to keep doing this yeah so he does feel guilty oh no it is in this one I found the line he's like I feel guilty about it I pushed him when I was warned to stop I kept pushing and Jack says he feels like he failed so then we see for the first time that the one dude who was out of place in the mural because he was a white man in the center of the iris, which is dark. He's missing one of his legs. And the whole crime team is like, who is this guy? Why is he in the middle of the mural? That makes no sense compared to what everything else was happening. And why Where is, is his leg? leg? And then we see that Hannibal has a bandsaw in his kitchen. Mm-hmm. And he's missing, making asabuco. Which... Doesn't that take, like, hours? It takes a lot. My biggest thing that I noticed is that on his recipe card, it calls for veal. Mm -hmm. I don't know if human adult male leg would have a texture like veal. Because veal is like baby baby cow. Yeah. Because veal is like the one meat that, you know, my husband would eat most any kind of meat if you put it in front of him. He literally cooked me a kangaroo burger the first year we were married. Nice. And I hate myself for how much I enjoyed it. But veal is very baby, 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 baby cow. Like it's, it's still very milk soft. fed. I've had, I've had veal. The leg of an active adult human male, especially the calf. Right. That. Oh. Well, and I would assume calf. that him. Nah. <laughs> I would assume that, like, because this is a meal, Hannibal is not preparing for anybody. Maybe he's a little less careful about trying to replicate the thing. It's just for him. He knows he's eating a man. He doesn't need to pretend that it's veal. Whereas, like, maybe if he's eating for somebody who has had veal before, and they're like, this is oddly tough for veal or whatever, then maybe it would be an issue, but... He just makes this for himself. Well, the whole thing of asobuku is supposed—it's supposed to make very, very tender. Well, and I think that could probably come just from it taking forever. Yeah, it's, you know, it braises for like several hours, and then which is a thing I know because of the office. And then Bedelia goes to tell Jack that she will not be available to talk to him about Hannibal anymore, and she is dropping a breadcrumb. That Hannibal is dangerous and not all that he seems, which is why I wrote in my notes, Bedelia, you are dropping a breadcrumb. Bedelia, you fantastic fishu. Yeah. She's good. And then she goes to see Will, which I'm skipping a part here. Um, when Will is imagining... So they go, they, the, they go to ask Will about the muralist because they still don't really know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And Will figures out that this guy was the creator, and someone sewed him into his painting. And we get the, you are not my design. He's like, why are you here? And I just, the thing. You're not my design. He's basically singing, one of these things is not like the other. Does he say that? He does say that. He says it. He says that. He one of these says, things is not like the other. One, one of these things, things just doesn't, doesn't belong. belong. You are not my design. He just, I, Maybe he doesn't sing it. Maybe he stops just he short of saying it. He does say it, though. Yeah. But he definitely says it. Um, and then, of course, he visualizes himself being sewn in by Hannibal. As Wendigo watches from above. Mm-hmm. 
And Hannibal repeats that line, killing must feel good to God too. He does it all the time. And are we not created in his image? Like this eye is looking to the heavens. There's a lot of like God's relationship with man mm-hmm. in this bit, you know? And I was like, is Hannibal seeing himself as like God? Yes. And he manipulated the real killer into being, well, the real killer, the original killer, into being a part of his own eye. Yeah. That's horrifying. it means that he really understood what this man was looking for because he was right. This man was looking for some kind of completion, some way to fill the void. And the way that Hannibal helped him do it was to become part of the eye looking at God so that when God looks back at him, there he is. He's like, wouldn't you want to be in the ark that you made for God? So he puts him in there, and then he eats his leg. And then Bedelia goes to talk to Will, and she goes right up to the bars, which she's not supposed to do. And then she whispers, I believe you. In the most ethereal voice. It's kind of spooky. It's spooky, but like... I am a straight woman, and I can say with utter confidence in myself that that was a little bit sexy. Yeah. And Will, he says, sorry, I was trying to remember the context for this line that I wrote down. Will says, I don't know you, when she comes to see him. And and she says, no, you don't. Or no, she says, I almost feel as though I know you. And he says, you don't. And she says, no, I don't. But I understand you better than I thought. And I wonder what it is she understands about him. Like, does she understand how he's been, like, taken in by Hannibal? Has she been taken in the same way? Or does she just understand how he and Hannibal could have a relationship? Because, like, now that she's meeting him and seeing, like, the circumstance that Hannibal engineered to have him here in jail, she's like, oh, I understand why you are the way that you are because he did this to you. I feel like I had different thoughts when I wrote it down last night, and I don't remember what those were. I'm just glad. I find I wanted a scene of Bedelia meeting Will, and yeah. I finally got it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't under the ideal circumstance that I would have wanted, but it was kind of beautiful in a way. Just her looking back at him, mm-hmm. and she knows. I knew she would know, but she just, she's looking at him. The way you would look at an animal that should never have been locked in a cage. The fact that she believes him is such a boon to Will in this part. Because nobody else believes him. Except maybe kind of Beverly. Yeah. And only because he told her to ignore the evidence she has and look for more evidence. Because if he's innocent, there won't be any more evidence. That will have been it. It'll have been carefully orchestrated this amount of evidence gift wrapped for you no more and then hannibal goes to bedelia's house and i started panicking because he was wearing scene suit the script calls it his bespoke crime scene oversuit i've been calling it the american psychote nice (laughs) so he's wearing that when he goes to her house which means he went to her house with the intention to kill her yeah She is already gone. All of her furniture is draped. 
except a bottle of her perfume sitting on her chair for him to find. Which means she knew he would come find it. She knew he was coming for her. And I loved that. For a couple of reasons. I love the image of drop cloths on furniture when a house is closed up so that it won't get dusty. Because it means I'm coming back to this place and I want things to be ready for me. Mm -hmm. And also I just love the idea... Maybe it's the fact that I was raised on so much British literature, especially Jane Austen, but I love the idea of, like, you know, we're going to go to our other house for this season, so we must cover all the furniture and... Is it Pride and Prejudice, or is it some other period piece where there's, like, a long tracking shot coming out the door of everyone covering the... That is Pride and Prejudice with Keira Knightley. 2005. Mm-hmm. When Netherfield Park is closed up. That's it. That's right. That's a great shot. That movie has so many great tracking shots. It's beautiful. Um, okay. The script says she left the perfume as a memento of friendship. Which I don't buy. Because she was very clear about them not being friends. Her and Hannibal. I thought of a couple reasons why she would have left the perfume. Maybe it's a memento, not a friendship. It's almost like a taunt for a couple reasons. On the one hand, she probably knows about the super smeller. Mm-hmm. Not to call it like the name that they call it on Psych, but it's basically the super smeller. Mm-hmm. But that's a very expensive and distinctive cut crystal bottle of perfume. And it's probably... It's a bespoke bottle, which means it might be a bespoke scent. She so would, too, wouldn't she? He would. She probably would, too. Yeah. She's nearly as fancy as he is. Well, plus, if you, if you, if you are in Bedelia's tax bracket and, a perf- and you have a bespoke bottle, either you had that perfume custom created for you or it's a discontinued bit of perfume... And your old bottle broke, so you had to put it in a different bottle. Either way, the scent is unique to you. And she is saying goodbye to that scent, which is probably telling her way of Hannibal. I think it's her way of telling Hannibal, don't come looking for me. You, you won't, won't be find able me. to find me. Especially not with this. Yeah, I like that. I also, it kind of reminded me of... When you have a crush on somebody and you want them to like you, so you spray your perfume on your letter, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, That it's kind of like, if they each have dirt on the other, I feel like this is her, like, parting reminder of it. She's like, yeah, I got you. I know things. Like, it's not, like, romantic or, like, she has a crush on him or anything like that, but it is, like... Remember that she's I can come keeping, for you. She's like, yeah, remember that I am, like, still around and still know things. Remember my last petunia. It is It is very much like that. I also thought it was interesting that she has never looked as afraid as she looks in this episode. When she goes to visit Will, she is, like, shaking the whole time. Which I thought was interesting. Even though she's wearing red. She is wearing red. Which we've not seen her do before. Except that one time. 
I remember because I yelled about it in all caps. <laughs> um, it's rare that we see her wear red. Yeah, she's usually very soft and, and uh, Neutral toned to down. blue to purple. Yeah. Or white. Or white. She has a lot of white. Um, so, yeah, on that segue, should we segue into Fashion Week? Yes. On that note, Fashion Week. So, for episode one, the white linen suit, which you are, you were, by which you were undone. Oh, I love it. Um, that whole scene is very much about Hannibal painting himself as good and pure and above reproach. And white is definitely a color we associate with purity and innocence. Yep. That was all I had for that. But then in the scene with um, Katie Purnell, Purnell, that is very hard to say out loud. I haven't had to yet. So, the review board scene, basically. Yeah. Cynthia Nixon, Katie Purnell, is in blue and white. Which, very much like she's the person in authority here. Mm-hmm. She's the person who is above reproach either way. Um, Alana and Jack are both in different shades of red. Alana is very much in an angry leopard print wrap dress. It's an angry, it's an angry red. Mm. There's no other way to describe the shades of red that are on that leopard print wrap dress other than needs to be in my closet like yesterday. <laughs> and it's like, she's very resigned. It's stunning that she's resigned and she's not backing down. And then Jack, who we know feel, feels guilty about this whole thing, mm-hmm. is in a crimson shirt and tie. Like a very deep, scarlety crimson, like... Like this, going back to the Crayola color, it's like the Crayola Scarlet. It's like kind of painful. Kind of painful. It's so red. But it's, there's a deep guilt and shame and scarlet letteriness to it. Because Jack doesn't wear red that much. Jack we mostly see in blacks and blues and the occasional brown. When Alana is playing with Will's dogs and then goes to see him, we continue with the sort of purple dress princess motif that has been established for her but she's also in a black leather jacket as almost like a protective armor thing so the old feelings are still there but she's she's armoring herself against it and I think it's indicative of how Will still sees her and maybe more about how he sees her than about how she sees him that is also possibly true because the other time she was in purple was when Abel Gideon went to kill her. True. And Will stopped that from happening. She's sitting so cute on you, I can't take it. And she's going to be purring in the podcast. And then we see Beverly in blue for one of the first times. Usually Beverly keeps it pretty neutral with some purples because purples just look good on Hetienne Park. Yeah. But in when she goes to see Will, she's in blue. Which, again, very much a color of divinity and it was what Alana was in a lot of last season. Yeah. So far this season, Alana has been in mostly red and sometimes purple. 
she's in red when she goes to look for Winston. And when she finds Jack at Will's house, he's wearing blue. Which, you know, in that moment where he's got Winston, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a pure motive that that's why he's there. And then episode two, I don't have as many, but there's a lot of shifting of normal color palettes in this season so far. We have not seen Alana wear blue once. Mm -hmm. The starfish necklace, I have not seen all season. Interesting. Beverly is taking a more active color role. Ow, 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 hey, don't bite me. What are you doing? To be clear, she's talking to Chainsaw, not me. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, it's very much... It's very much a season of shifts. Mm -hmm. As far as character motivations, and that's very much reflected in color. Yeah. Because we see Beverly in red for one of the first times... When she's having her talk with Jack, when she's not backing down, and he's like, you went to visit Will Graham? Yeah, and you should have done it first. Yeah. Um, we see Alana in black and white for the interview where she's with Hannibal, and they're talking to Will, and Will is playing Hannibal like a fiddle, because even if, no matter what she feels, she has to be neutral mm-hmm. for that scene. Well, and that's like her neutral colors and her armor is always black and white. Mm-hmm. And uh, then again, as we said before in the segue, one of the first times we see Bedelia, it's one of the few times we see Bedelia in red, and it's the most red we've seen on her, is her red jacket mm-hmm. when she is vulnerable and she's kind of on her own sort of warpath when she tells Will she believes in him. Yeah. Because, yeah, the other time she's wearing red, it's more like kind of a burgundy, like wine color. Yeah, it's a, it's a wine red. This is a very... It's red, red. It's blood. It's scarlet. It's, it's fire. It's, at first when I saw her in that jacket, I was like, does she feel guilty? Because she didn't say anything and now Will's here. But no, she's on her own sort of warpath. Mm-hmm. She has planted her breadcrumb for Jack Crawford. And now she's going to throw the sighthound a bone. I think you're right that like, this season even already just after two episodes is flipping everything on its head and yeah the color palettes seem to reflect that for sure there's a lot less blue this season yeah it's interesting okay and as we wrap up this week what has been normal and good with you lately um well We finally had Jojo's birthday party this last weekend. Nice. And it was interesting. It was fun. She was very sweet and cute in the videos I took. She she kept wanting to, like, play with every single new toy as it was open. We had to, like, no, no, you have to open all the other stuff first. (laughs) We're not going to wait for you to get tired of playing with your tea set before we move on. To the, to the next. next thing. And also the cake that I made her turned out very good. I might have added too much white chocolate to the frosting. It looked very cute in the pictures. It was very pretty and I like the flavor, but like, it was solid. The frosting is solid in the fridge and it turns liquid and the butter separates at room temperature. Ah. Like, I was making the frosting up on the fly. I just knew that I wanted white chocolate blackberry buttercream. 
Because last year for her second birthday, I did Swiss meringue buttercream. And it's easy to fix, apparently, if you get it wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's awful. <laughs> Your first time making it is awful because if the butter is not like the exact right temperature, it'll ruin everything. And it's fixable after that point. My mother-in-law did some research and actually fixed it for me because she's a saint. Nice. But I didn't have enough raspberry juice left over and the raspberry curd didn't work. So this worked out much better. And also, I have found my go-to chocolate cake recipe as a result because it's the same cake I made for JoJo's birthday cake last year. Nice. It's a one-bowl chocolate cake called Black Magic Cake. And because... A couple... My husband is allergic to the smell of coffee. I have been accidentally served it a couple times and I hate, hate, hate the taste of it and it gives me asthma attacks. I replaced the cup of strong black coffee with a cup of Dr. Pepper. Interesting. I love what it does to the flavor. Yeah, because coffee is usually used to make chocolate things more chocolatey. Yeah. But, yeah, if you can't use coffee, then what do you do? (laughs) And, like, I'm not a... I will eat things, like, if you if you give me a chocolate thing that has, like, a tablespoon of espresso powder in it, I won't say no. Like, I've had... I If I can taste coffee, I don't like the taste of it. Like, even in coffee ice cream. Even I was served coffee, like, Ben and Jerry's super sweet coffee ice cream. My mistake and all I could taste was the coffee. And I was like, get this as far away from me as possible. <laughs> but last year when I made it for the first time... I was kind of winging it, and I'm like, well, I have Dr. Pepper on hand. I'm going to put a cup of that in and see what it does. And I love what it Interesting. does. Interesting. And it's a one-bowl chocolate cake. Nice. Like, one bowl to the point where you don't cream the butter and sugar together. You mix the sugar and the dry ingredients together, and then you add all the other stuff in on top of that. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. And then it's a really super thin batter. Whip it for two minutes. Put it in the oven for a little over half an hour. And it's the moistest, darkest, most decadent chocolate cake I've ever eaten. Huh. And I'll send you the recipe if you want to Please some do. interest. <laughs> it's delightful. Because I'm like really picky about chocolate cake. But that sounds cool. I should have brought you over some of JoJo's cake. We have some of it left. The frosting has like melted off of it under my cake dome, but I'm pretty sure that everything is still perfectly edible. Nice. It doesn't look pretty anymore. <laughs> But it probably still tastes good. Nice. Um, my normal and good thing this week is pretty minor. Um, but I have made my bed almost every day. That's wonderful. Yeah, I used to be really good at making my bed. When I lived in apartments where, like, I kind of just had my room and I had to hang out in there. Then I made my bed because then I had to look at it. Yeah. Um, but since I moved into, like, bigger apartments or, like, while I was married and didn't hang out in the bedroom, hung out in the living room, or, like, now, where I'm living here, I have a living room to hang out in, um, like, why make the bed? Because I don't have to look at it. <laughs> but I was reading, like, a, it was like a mommy lifestyle cleaning blog, and it was like, the first thing you do should be to make your bed. It takes, like, a minute And even if you do nothing else that day, you made your bed. You did a chore. Yeah. And for some reason, although I have been hearing this from my own mother my entire life, 
it like never really stuck until this time. But I have been making my bed and it's nice. See, I'd heard that apparently there was a study done when we were in high school where if you if you get up and you make your bed, you feel better about your day. Mm-hmm. And like you have more energy, you're more motivated. And I've honestly found that to be true. I wonder if part of that is because it's not as tempting to just crawl back under the covers. I think that's part of it because, like, you just made your bed. You don't want to unmake it. You got all the pillows how you like them. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I think that does it for episode eight. It's only been two and a half hours. (laughs) So. Like we said, this is what happens when we don't get to talk to each other often enough. I think we'll go ahead and call it. And we'll be back next week with episodes three and four. Yeah. So, oh, and I still haven't added our uh, Twitter or email to the end credits. I should re-record those. Um, but in the meantime, the email is normalandgood at gmail.com. And the Twitter is normal underscore and underscore good. And then, of course, there's always the website, normalandgood.com. And all right. We will talk to you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye. Normal and Good podcast is produced by me, Amber Sorensen. The theme music is Red Hills Solstice from the album Round the World by Lobo Loco and is licensed under Creative Commons. You can find this track and more at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash Lobo underscore Loco. For more, visit my website normalandgood.com or find me on Twitter at Amber underscore Jane underscore nine. Thanks for listening.